What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Drink up that diesel. Oh, I'm ready. Oh, I'm ready. Oh, Well, that was not exactly a uh, fun football game to watch. That's probably the nicest way of putting it. What's good? This is the Pigpen Podcast. I'm your host, Denton Day, at the Denton Day on Twitter. Nice little change up of the Twitter name this week. There's a story behind it. We'll save that for another time. But it's now at the Denton Day for the Twitter. I got to get my energy up a little bit for this one because this football team does a very good job of draining me of said energy and particularly the game yesterday it stung more than some of the other losses that we have seen take place over the course of the 2020 season and that's mostly because the first half was so incredibly flat and I was just kind of angry but I was ready to be angry and I was ready to come on here and rant and rant and rant And then in the second half, there was just enough positivity to fill me with a little bit of hope and to to fill me with a little bit of joy. Like, oh, wait a second. Maybe this team has a little bit of life in it. And then to break all the same at the end, it just, there's a pit in your stomach and it's draining. You know, it's exhausting to be a fan of this team and to consistently see them find new ways to lose yet still giving you this weird sense of hope in the process even if it's not a deep hope it's enough to say all right there's still some form of positives we can take away from this football game but the result is the same once again huh 
there were a lot of emotions yesterday. Like, I was physically drained after watching that football game. And, you know, I got a show that I got to do on all things NFL at 6 p.m. on Sunday. So I had about two-ish hours that I had to get myself in a better mood. And ultimately, I did. But after that football game, it was... It was not fun. You know, there was like a 10 to 15 minute period where I just sulked and I was very upset and very angry. And I'm I'm sure I'm not alone in that. You know, we get to a place where we almost feel a little numb to some of this stuff. But again, seeing that brief amount of positivity fills you with enough hope to where the loss actually stings. So we will dive deep into what went right, what went wrong. We have a list of pros and cons, and then we will close out this episode of the podcast with a realistic discussion of where this team is and how that relates to where we thought they would be nine games through this season. We'll save that for the end of the podcast, but we'll start with the pros and cons list in an effort to be a little bit more positive. We will start with the pros, and as you can imagine, this isn't rocket science. You are all smart people. I'm a smart person. The cons list vastly outweighs that of the pros. There's like three pros that I have on this list. There's a lot more cons. So we'll get the pros out of the way first. Uh, First and foremost, this is a weekly pro, uh, Terry McLaurin. He's awesome. He has been awesome. He will still be awesome. The fumble was less than great, even though I don't really think it was a fumble. Replay didn't do us a whole lot. There was more just there wasn't a conclusive angle to overturn it. So you had kind of the uphill battle on that fumble. It was the first fumble of Perry McLaurin's not just professional career, but he never fumbled in college. And I would be willing to bet you'd have to go pretty far back into his high school tape to actually see him fumbling in high school he's the guy that holds on to the football so we just kind of lost that one due to the uphill battle that the NFL replay makes you kind of have in that situation I think if we had at least one better angle that call probably gets overturned and not a real fumble that aside though he is still fantastic he made some big receptions and he's awesome so he is the pro uh, Cam Sims and Isaiah Wright, I thought, also played really well. You know, Cam Sims came up with a big catch late in the football game. Isaiah Wright made some big plays. So I applaud both of those guys. It is nice to see more than just Terry McLaurin getting in on the action and having success from the wide receiver position. I've loved what I've seen from Cam Sims in particular over the past two weeks. I want to see him get the football more. And I thought Isaiah Wright stepped up in a very positive way on Sunday as well. So those guys are two pros. And then the final, actually, no, I got two more. Um, Alex Smith moving the offense specifically in the second half. We are very much isolating that because it was nice to see him move the football, right? We hadn't seen a whole lot of that from any of the quarterbacks that we have seen this year. But it is very clear that Alex Smith can move the football better than anyone else on this roster does he check the ball down a lot yes he does and sometimes that is painful sometimes it's necessary and it's the the right decision but he does check the football down an absolute ton but he showed in instances that he can also push the ball down the field obviously you want to see more of that than the checkdowns but 
when a guy throws for 390 yards and mounts somewhat of a 21-point deficit, a 21-point comeback, that is a pro. I mean, it just is. It would have been nice to cap off the fairy tale and get Alex Smith a win, but for the second week in a row, that eludes the football team. And then the final pro, I saved this one for last because this does transition right into a con as well. You're kind of balancing on both sides. But I did like the accountability that the defensive players, specifically John Allen and Chase Young, had after the football game. Look, the Chase Young penalty sucked. It was a very, very bad penalty. It was a stupid penalty. It's something that he should know better. But he didn't have to hold himself accountable to the media after the game. Especially with this whole Zoom thing, like it's very easy to duck the media if you don't want to talk to the media. It's a whole lot different when you are standing up on the podium and you are looking everyone in the face. But he held himself accountable, and I think that's a positive sign for the direction of the team and the culture that Ron Rivera was brought in to cultivate. I think we are taking positive steps in the right direction in getting that to an actual culture that we can call damn good because lord knows it hasn't been that for quite some time john allen has been at the forefront of that ever since we drafted him he's been absolutely fantastic but here's where this transitions right into a con while it is great that these guys are holding themselves accountable and that they're saying all the right things this is not the first time and unfortunately it probably will not be the last time that they hold themselves accountable in front of the media. And at a certain point, we would like to see the transition from holding themselves accountable and saying all the right things to actually executing on the football field. And especially with these two players in particular, because we know how great that defensive line is, is supposed to be and has the potential to be. So to see them constantly in a place uh, where they need to hold themselves accountable It's not something you want to get used to. It's not a trend that we want to continue to see week after week after week. And that's where it transitions into the con. Obviously, the first and the the biggest con is that Chase Young penalty. Uh, Did Matt Stafford flop? I think he did. He knows how to sell a call. He's been in the league for a ton of years. But it's very clear in this game in particular, Chase Young is frustrated. He is playing frustrated football. He started the season off you know, really on fire, two and a half sacks to to start the season off through the first few games. He was living up to every single expectation that was set of him. And the expectations for Chase Young were set very high and he was living up to them. And not to say that he's not doing that now, but some of the plays that he was making prior to the groin injury, they are not coming into fruition anymore. And he's starting to get frustrated and you can see that he's drawing some double teams And he's struggling with that. And this is all part of being a rookie in the NFL. Not everyone just comes in here and is automatically Aaron Donald. In fact, it's unfair to think that Chase Young would just come in here and be this dominant force uh, like an Aaron Donald. Because we think at some point in time, Chase Young can be as dominant as a guy like Aaron Donald and put up these monster numbers. That's still a fair Uh, assumption to have about his future but with being a rookie in the NFL there's going to come growing pains and he's playing frustrated he did get bailed out with that weird face mask no call 
I didn't really think that was a penalty to begin with, but he got bailed out with that one, and he did not get bailed out with the the roughing of the passer. It was a bad penalty. It's a penalty you can't take. I think if if the game was maybe between two teams that were better and two teams that were playing less sloppy football because the game did have a, its degree of sloppiness, I don't know if everyone gets that call. So I, I think that's fair to mention that Maybe Kerrigan doesn't get that call. Maybe if the quarterback isn't Matt Stafford, who had been complaining to the refs, maybe that call doesn't happen. You can dive into all, to all of that, but the reality is the call was made, and it's just a it's just a penalty that you can't take. And he'll learn from it, he'll grow from it, but it's very clear as of this point in time that Chase Young is very frustrated with the lack of uh, quality production that he has had so far this season. He's still making great plays. He's still playing good football, but he is not playing the football that he expects himself to play. So hopefully this is kind of the kick in the pants to to have him step up production-wise, and eventually those plays will come. I mean, again, he's a rookie. He's young. He's learning. The plays will come. You just have to kind of keep your head on uh, straight. The next biggest con, that first-half offense was atrocious. And I don't know if that is all on Scott Turner, if that is on Alex Smith, but the movement of the ball in the first half was unbelievably terrible, especially when you compare it to the movement of the ball in the second half. Why is it that we are so much better in the second half and not the first half? This has to be addressed moving forward here. It absolutely has to. There is no reason why we can consistently move the football in the second half, but not do so in the first half. We have to get off the bus, and we have to be ready to play. And I think that more falls on the coaching staff and being prepared and that god-awful reverse. What in God's name was that? There was absolutely no rhyme or reason for why that reverse had to be called when the team was having success moving the football. That seemed like, from my perspective, that seemed like a coach trying to outsmart himself. It was Scott Turner knowing that he needed some form of spark. He really wanted to make this happen. He watched the film of Detroit leading up to the week, and he thought this is something we can take advantage of, but it was a terrible play call at the time. Maybe start the second half with a call like that, but doing that in the first possession, when your offense is having success doing just about everything else, it completely stalled the drive, and then following the reverse, we take the sack, and it knocks us out, and we lose at least three points on that one, maybe end up losing a touchdown on that one, and I'm not saying the ball game, the result is completely different had those sequence of events not taken place, but I do think that it would have been a little different. I think the the offensive mindset for the Lions is probably a little different if they're automatically getting the football down 7 nothing or 3 nothing. I think the defense, who has not had a whole lot of opportunities this year to play with the lead, maybe they play a little bit different if they're up 7 nothing or if they're up 3 nothing to start. It just killed all of the momentum on that drive, and it was a coach trying to be a little too smart, trying to kind of get you with the, the gotcha play when instead he should have just been doing the bread and butter of the offense and what got them there in the first place, which was running it down the throat of the Detroit Lions and having some success throwing the football. Dustin Hopkins is a con 
It's not a great performance. Really that simple. He's a kicker. His one job is to, to kick field goals, and he hasn't done a great job of that. The defense is a con. The run defense is a con. The pass defense is a con. The pass rush is a con. There's like eight cons on the defense. The coverage and the play calling on the final drive for Detroit was like skin crawling bad. I absolutely can't stand when defenses get uber conservative given that situation there. Detroit had had some success moving the football in the first half, but the defense had really kind of stifled the Lions in the second half, and then it just seemed like they flipped the switch back to the first-half style of defense. Everything that they had been doing to stall Detroit's offense in the second half wasn't apparent on that final drive. I don't like it when defenses get too conservative. Play aggressive. Play to win the football game. Don't play for for the chance to go to overtime. And I just, it it really grinds my gears. And I rewatched some of the plays. Obviously, that that, that penalty is, is is the worst of which. But Detroit had the ball first and 10 at the 50 with Matt Prater as their kicker. And Prater has an historically good leg in the NFL. So they needed three yards to get with the broadcast, with their green line, what they called his field goal range. They're likely setting up to kick it regardless of what happens on this play in particular. From the 50, it's about a 67-yard field goal, which Prater has hit before. So they're likely kicking it regardless. But obviously, despite the fact that Prater has a historically great leg, as far as NFL standards are concerned, a 67-yarder is not a gimme. But a 58-59-yarder for the guy is a gimme. So re-watching the play and seeing the closest defensive back to the line of scrimmage, five yards off the football, I mean, what are we doing? I understand we don't play a bunch of press man coverage on, on defense, but why is every single defensive back so far off the football when they have six seconds and a timeout? Get up on the line of scrimmage. You know they're not chucking it deep here. And if you think they're going to chuck it deep here, something's off with the game plan and the scouting report because you you should know that Matt Prater is their kicker. I absolutely hated the way that the defense played that. Get up in the wide receiver's face. If they're going to beat you on a little quick in to get some field goal range, to get some better yards on the field goal, you damn sure better make them earn that. Not just sitting off the ball, and there was literally no contact. It was just a very easy pitch and catch for Matt Stafford to the wide receiver. You lose a couple seconds, but you gain about eight yards. Quick timeout, send Prater out for the field goal, and they win. Oh, you just you just can't have that. You have to be aggressive defensively. You have to. Don't flip this script after you've been doing things so well, so well in the second half, and to get conservative... It was just a pain. The defense needs to force more turnovers. This is two weeks now. 
against teams that aren't exactly great in terms of holding on to the football, you have to force more turnovers. The pass defense that was the number one in terms of yards per game entering this game, it just it wasn't it wasn't enough. And the final con here, something we kind of touched on to start. Being just good enough to leave fans with that pit in their stomach after the loss is painful. It's absolutely painful. Either win the football game or like, like I'd rather have a blowout. I, I, I really would. That sounds terrible, I know. But building up that hope once again to see, all right, if we can get to overtime, we have all the momentum, we win this football game. And, and building all that hope up just to have that balloon popped, like a needle right to the balloon pop air all out and just absolutely deflated it sucks like it does not feel good at all so that's that's one of the major cons here playing just good enough to draw us back in and then letting us down huh it's a very very painful painful thing man it really is but now we shift to what we are as a team we are two and seven ten weeks into the nfl season is this where you thought that the team would be. Because for me, we are a little less than what I thought we would end up being. When we were doing preseason predictions, just looking at the schedule, and again, I didn't think this team was going to look anything like it does now, especially at the quarterback spot. If you were to tell me in week 10 of the NFL season that Alex Smith was going to be the guy starting at quarterback for the football team, I would be stunned, I would be confused, and I would have known that something has gone very, very wrong, which you could argue many things have gone very, very wrong, specifically at that position. But the team is a little behind schedule of what I thought they could be to this point in the schedule. I thought the ceiling for the football team entering the season was six to seven wins and through nine games at two and seven. Now, the wins haven't exactly come where I thought they would. And just looking at the schedule, I would have thought that, well, I would have thought both wins would have came against New York, to be completely honest, because I thought Philadelphia and Dallas were going to be much better. I, of course, didn't think that Dak Prescott was going to get hurt. So, the wins have come from a very different spot, but they're they're one below what I thought they would be. Now, there are still some winnable games left on the schedule. We got Cincinnati this upcoming week, which admittedly I am a little concerned about this one from the past defense's perspective because Cincinnati is going to throw this football like crazy. They have Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is very, very good. He's a very, very fun quarterback to watch. He is going to sling the football. You got Dallas on Thanksgiving, and you got Carolina and Philly to ultimately end it. But the three-game stretch between Dallas and Carolina is Pittsburgh, San Francisco, Seattle. Those are three tough games. As bad as San Francisco seems on paper, their defense is still very, very good. And I think they have enough offensively. I don't know. Maybe that is somewhat of a winnable game. But Pittsburgh and Seattle, certainly not. Even with Carolina, I I don't know how much of a winnable game that'll technically be because Joe Brady has that offense looking very, very strong. But it seems like the hope in my highest of the ceiling for, for seven wins is completely gone. 
And the more realistic approach is the four to five mark in terms of wins. Right now, as we stand, if the NFL draft were to take place tomorrow, the football team selects fourth. They select behind the New York Jets, behind the Jacksonville Jaguars, and behind the Dallas Cowboys. So those are the three teams that are currently ahead of us in the draft order. It is very clear based on the roster that we have. We have pieces in place that are going to be here for the future. All of the defensive line, they're going to be here for the future. Kendall Fuller is here to stay. At least one of the safeties, probably two of them. I mean, Everett's probably going to stay. I don't know if he'll be at this, in a starting role next year. Uh, Cameron Curl is obviously going to stay. Landon Collins is going to be at that position. I find it very hard to believe that Troy Apke is going to be on the roster next year. I do think Ronald Darby will be there. So cornerback and defensive back, not going to be a need to address in the draft. Linebackers are offensive line will be. And the top priority is going to be quarterback. Without question. As great as Alex Smith has been, or as impressive as Alex Smith has been, and as great of a story as the Alex Smith story has been, he is not the guy of the future. He is not the guy that is going to take us to the places that you ultimately are trying to get to. And that's not even meant to be a knock on Alex, but he doesn't have the burst and explosion in terms of mobility that he once had. He's getting up there in age, and his contract is huge. Those are all three red flags, and those are all three signs that it's time to move on from Alex Smith. Kyle Allen, damn sure, better not be the starting quarterback next season as we enter the year. And Dwayne Haskins won't be because Dwayne Haskins' time here in D.C. is up. I'd like to see Haskins get a little bit more playtime just to see if we can maybe bolster his trade stock. But Dwayne Haskins' time is up, which officially moves this franchise. Not that it wasn't already officially in the sweepstakes for a quarterback, but it puts them back in the quarterback sweepstakes for Trevor Lawrence and for Justin Fields and Zach Wilson, the kid out of BYU, and Kyle Trask, the guy out of Florida, and Trey Lance, the guy that opted out out of North Dakota State. There are going to be five quarterbacks that are going first round. Now, here is what, if you are a fan of the football team, if if I, knowing that Trevor Lawrence is going number one, right? Like the Jets basically have a lock on Trevor Lawrence. It's now in the sweepstakes of everybody else. I want Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields, outside of Trevor Lawrence, is the best quarterback in this year's draft. I think he's an absolute stud. If you are hanging on to the fact that, wait a second, he went to Ohio State, Dwayne Haskins went to Ohio State, obviously they're the same person, the same quarterback. (sighs) Get off the internet. I don't want to hear that. Watch Justin Fields. You will see he is a very different quarterback than Dwayne Haskins. What the best case scenario, if you still want Justin Fields, but know that we are likely going to move a bit back in the drafting order because I do see us finishing with four or five wins. The best case scenario is that Kyle Trask continues to perform the way that he is at Florida. 
and that the Jaguars get really enticed by Kyle Trask. Because his numbers are insane. He is step for step. In fact, he's a step ahead of where Joe Burrow was to that point in the season. So Kyle Trask is building up his draft stock tremendously right now. He's the front runner for the Heisman Trophy. And that could sway some of the eyes of the other franchises that are drafting ahead of us. Because you have to remember, there are are a number of franchises that try to be a little too smart for their own good. The Bears are a great example of this, drafting Trubisky over Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. Now, the Patrick Mahomes, I don't know if anyone thought Mahomes was going to be that good, but I could have told you, and anyone who watched college football could have told you, Deshaun Watson, a better NFL pro than Mitch Trubisky. That one wasn't too difficult to see, but the Bears kind of outsmarted themselves a little bit. So what you're hoping for from our perspective as we still look to win a few football games, because I don't think we are at the point now where we can just say, all right, let's lose the rest of the games and build draft stock. I think that's a bad way of handling where we're at. But recognizing that Alex Smith is not the guy of the future, we want a young quarterback and we want a quarterback that our organization picks, that our coaching staff is completely and fully behind. Fields is the best option for that. We just want someone else to get swayed by one of the other dudes. We want them to to get enticed and uh, either by Trask or Zach Wilson or... Trey Lance it's going to be very hard for teams to get drawn to Trey Lance unless his combine stuff is just great he didn't do himself any favors by not playing but Kyle Trask absolutely has you want Jacksonville to get swayed by Kyle Trask I don't think Dallas is going to be in the market for a quarterback I I would see them more going for Panay Sewell who is the offensive lineman from Oregon he's not playing with Oregon now he opted out but he's a damn good football player he is He's going to be a problem if Dallas does draft him. So, like, you almost don't want them to draft him. But he's going to be a problem. But I see Dallas more in the market for an offensive lineman, which leaves us the possibility of getting gifted, really, Justin Fields, who I think would be the perfect guy to turn this franchise around. Remember, Justin Fields is a guy that had absolutely nothing to gain from playing college football this year, and he put his neck out out on the line time and time again he did everything and more to get the Big Ten to restart their season I don't know if his influence actually did anything but the fact that he went above and beyond to do so for the culture that we are trying to cultivate in this locker room that seems like a great fit so I want Justin Fields if you want another quarterback let me know but I'm interested realistically Thinking back to where you had this team at to start the season and now, is there any big difference? Are you stunned by what you've seen or is this what you expected all along? Because we kind of got tossed around this idea of winning the division because the division sucks, but we were never meant and built to win the division this season. This was meant to be a rebuilding year. So in the mindset of understanding that this was a rebuilding year, we are very similarly on track to where I thought we would be just one less win at the time. I'd love to know how you think uh, about that scenario. And if if you want another quarterback over Justin Fields, again, Trevor Lawrence is going one. He's going to the Jets. 
we right now would pick fourth. That will likely change by the time season ends, either for better or for worse in terms of the positioning. But which of the quarterbacks is your number one go-to guy? Hit me up on Twitter at the Denton Day. You can comment down below on hogshaven.com as well. We'll be back later in the week to preview the Bengals and the football team. Oh, that's going to be a fun preview. I absolutely love Joe Burrow. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks in the NFL now. So that's going to be a fun game to preview. I'll be watching through finger goggles uh, this weekend, but we'll do that later on in the week. Until then, that wraps up this episode. I'll see you later this week. Peace. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.